Welcome on back to another Meet Kevin Report. It is episode 114, and for 114, we have the special PC inflation report. It is also coupon expiration day tonight at 11.59 p.m. We'll have yet another coupon expiration, large one today. All of the phases we've been talking about expire today as we release a whole bunch of new lectures at this weekend, so buckle up for those. Stocks and Psych, uh, Zero to Millionaire Real Estate Investing, the uh, How to Make More Money and Get SHNIT Done Faster. Uh, we'll have a bunch of new lectures everywhere, so super excited about that. And I uh, would love to see you there as well as in the course member live streams. Okay, so today PCE coming up. That's the big catalyst today. Obviously, we hope that this uh, May data, which uh, feels like it'd be a little dated right now, right? Uh, it's obviously already June 30th, which means we're going into July here in uh, less than two weeks, in about 13 days. Uh, June, uh, July 12th, that is. We'll be getting the June CPI data. Uh, that June CPI data should be really neat because we're going to get a big year-over-year drop-off. Uh, then we do expect inflation, the decline of inflation, to somewhat slow down, though. Uh, so that'll be something to pay attention to, that decline. Let's see what we got here as far as if we have any forecasts yet for that CPI report, uh, which we're expecting uh, in two weeks. And then, of course, this morning we'll be getting the PCE numbers in about five minutes. So, uh, yeah, for the next, for the June inflation report, it looks like uh, we're expecting CPI month over month to go up from 0.1 to 0.2 uh, and core month over month to go down from 0.4 to 0.3. So that's for the CPI report. Uh, that'll be again in about two weeks and these are just some of the preliminary numbers. Uh, and then today we'll be getting PCE, personal income, and uh, as well as sentiment from the Uni uh, University of Michigan. So this will be exciting. All right, so University of Michigan, by the way, uh, their sentiment survey comes out at uh, 7 Pacific or 10 Eastern time, whereas PCE figures will be out uh, here within the next uh, four minutes. And we're looking for 0.1 on the month over month, uh, year over year 3.8. Uh, PCE core deflator looking for 0.3 uh, month over month, that's your core and then year over year for seven to match what we had previously. So, uh, buckle up. This will be a nice little catalyst. Uh, we'll uh, evaluate. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, we, uh, we last affirmative action at schools. I'll probably make a separate standalone video later. Uh, we're still reading through the actual decision. Some of it's pretty interesting. So I'll do a summary vid of uh, my findings in uh, and, and uh, what I think is interesting in the actual decision. Uh, I, I think ultimately it all comes down to excuses for on either side uh, for, for why, why are we not doing better to invest in schools? Something I ran for uh, as a uh, as a major part of my uh, campaign for governor. Schools are so important; should be investing more in schools, not less. Uh, so we'll talk about that in the video coming up. Anywho, 
All right, so um, two and a half minutes away from PCE. Obviously, fingers crossed here. And uh, then we'll see how uh, markets move after that. And I generally expect that in order for markets to move off something, we have to get something like different from expectations. Forgive me, this dead calf is still here. It's amazing. It's been a, been a week now of this garbage. I guess that's probably about right for something like this. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, the 10-year treasury shot up like 11 bips in the last uh, uh, day, by the way. Well, yesterday was well, yesterday and the day before was like 375. All of a sudden, it's sitting at 386. This is wild. 386 on the 10-year. Uh, oil still stable, 69.74, and uh, pre-market here in the U.S. right now, pretty green, 32 bips on the Dow, 41 bips on the S&P, and 56 on the NASDAQ. Shout out, Max, that's awesome. Look at that, Max, uh, thank you for saying that. A big shout out for the value you provide. You donated money to me to say it's your birthday. Congratulations, man. <laughs> that's awesome. That's uh, that's really nice. That's generous of you. Happy birthday, man. Okay, here we go. We are a minute away from the PCE numbers. Uh, once again, I'm going to give you the most important ones right now. Most important one, month over month core. We're looking for 0.3 or less. 0.3 or less, very important. Year over year, 4.7. Less important, but we want that month over month core to be 4.7. Very important. We want uh, the month-over-month non-core to be 0.1. That's a low ask. Let's see if we can get it. Uh, before, we were at 0.4 on the month-over-month, -month, and month-over-month -month core, we were also at 0.4. So both were at 0.4. We're looking for 0.1 and 0.3. Keep in mind, today is coupon expiration day. Link down below. Prices will be going up at 11.59 p.m. Email us at staff at meetkevin.com for bundles. <clears throat> Here we go. All right, 5.30, and let's see. Personal income comes in a little higher than expected at 0.3 versus, or at 0.4 versus 0.3. Still waiting for the deflators. PCE numbers are not through the wire just yet. Let's see, where is it? <coughs> Come on, folks. You have about 30 seconds left in the minute. There it is, and we got uh, month over month matches 0.1 match on the uh, core month over month, uh, slight low at 4.6 on the year over year core. That's good, uh, and then year over year matches 3.8. So basically, meet, meet, uh, meet, and slightly low. Good. That's very good. That's very good. We do not want to see any of these inflation numbers run away. This is fantastic. It's an ad expectations report that is uh, probably going to push Apple over 190. Yep. Apple now over uh, 191 after uh, these uh, these numbers coming out over here. You've got Tesla popping up a little bit, point, uh, uh, just about 1%. You've got on the SPY, let's take a peek here. Look at this. You can tell there's actually still some uncertainty in, in markets about inflation. Otherwise, uh, for us to really get this ad expectation report, 
with a slight miss on uh, on the year-over-year core, which is fantastic. For the market to actually move up on that, it somewhat implies the market is still nervous. Then maybe we are going to get Bank of England. Uh, well, United Kingdom, I, I, United Kingdomed, I guess is what I should say. That's where we had that de-anchoring of core. Why would core shoot back up on inflation year over year? Uh, that was uh, that was that was a scary number. It was a scary read, and so that made a lot of people nervous about inflation again. Uh, but anyway, this is great. This should help us keep inflation expectations anchored. Uh, it reiterates that companies are okay. They have the license to to uh, perform well. We don't need bad news anymore. Bad news is no longer good news. We are at a stage now where bad news is bad news because we are heading towards a potential recession. So we need good news to keep us away from it. At the same time, we need inflation reports to stay anchored because if we get de-anchored inflation reports, we're cooked and, and we'll get cooked fast. So this is good. Gain the lead. Uh, now, uh, let's see, personal income numbers again, coming in slightly higher than expected at 0.4 versus 0.3, though you did have a slight down revision for the prior at uh, 0.3 versus the previous 0.4. Personal spending came in softer at 0.1 versus the 0.2 survey, and for the revision prior, you had a slightly down revision. Uh, personal spending came in flat, we were expecting 0.1. As far as uh, PCE deflator, month over month again, coming in at 0.1, as expected, down from 0.4. PCE deflator year over year did get revised down in the prior as well. Prior got revised down from 4.4 down to 4.3. And we got a match on 3.838 for the year over year numbers with that core figure coming in at 0.3.3 uh, with the prior release for PCE being 0.4. This is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, so this is great. Uh, and then we have that falling year-over-year core as well from 4.7. Expectation was even 4.7, but we even missed that and dropped to 4.6. <clears throat> now, what we can do is we can go through the actual report and explore uh, some of the tables that we have just so we could see how does this compare to CPI and what can we learn about the comparisons to from CPI to this. So, uh, yeah, last day for live or crazy, huh? I feel like that was a journey. Going to Sofer. Sofer. Doesn't sound as cool as Liber. Anyway, here's the chart. Personal income increased by 0.4. Disposable personal income increased also 0.4. PCE increased 0.8. This is uh, actual expenditures. Let's look at where the actual inflationary numbers came from for prices, as opposed to actual spending that's not inflation adjusted. So what do we have? Okay, here, prices for goods. Oh, this is quite interesting, look at that. Prices for goods increased 0.3%, and prices for services increased 0.4%, pretty stable. Prices for food decreased less than 0.1%. Energy prices increased 0.7%. Excluding food and energy, we got that 0.4, got it. Uh, hold on a second, let me make sure I'm on the, am I on the right one? No, I'm not, okay. Yeah, I was wondering, I'm like, wait a minute, some of these numbers don't match. Uh, I went to their website and just grabbed the most recent report and it was actually the May release, so they haven't, they haven't even updated the front page. You know, the CPI one updates the front page pretty quickly. There we go, all right, now we got the right one. 
Okay. This this should make a lot more sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay. This aligns. Here we go. Much better. Okay. Yes, this makes much more sense. Personal income increased 0.4% uh, in May, according to estimates. Disposable income increased 0.4%. Personal consumption increased 0.1%. Great. All right, there's the PCE. Those are the numbers we read off earlier. Prices, 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 here we go. Prices for goods, there we go. This makes much more sense. Prices for goods decreased 0.1%. Prices for services increased 0.3%. Still obviously seeing the lagging effects of, well, services being second. But uh, this is not scary. 0.3% is an annualized rate of 3.6%. Remember, you just take the number, multiply it by 12, no compounding, no fancy math. That's how you annualize. Multiply. All right. Real PCE, the decrease of less than 0.1% in real PCE in May reflected a decrease of 0.4% in spending on goods. It was partly increased by an increase in spending on services. Within goods, the largest contributor to a decrease was spending on new motor vehicles. New motor vehicle spending. And led by light new trucks. These are going to be your uh, uh, pickup trucks. Within services, the largest contributors to the increase were other services led by international travel. Boy, I just read a story in the New York Times about how this is expected to be one of the busiest travel seasons for Europe. So uh, popular Italian destinations, Spanish destinations, German destinations, you name it. It's, uh, it almost makes you wonder, do you want to go to Europe? <laughs> I mean, yes, but still, it's going to be busy if you get to the big cities, I guess. Anyway, when I was there yesterday, uh, last year, uh, Florence was, was pretty packed. <laughs> anyway, so what do we have here? Updates, 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 updates. So detailed information coming up. Oh, yeah, I want to see the detailed info. Hold on. There we go. All right, so this is income. Income, uh, I want to know personal income and disposition. Okay, here we go, from the prior months. And can we get a percent change? Years and quarters. Uh, I think we can. What do we have here? PCE is a little bit of a different report. So here we go. Uh, and percent change from preceding month. Good. So, well, this is a little more of a broad overview. This gives you the percent change from the preceding month. You can see durable goods are, uh, are, were actually negative, and service and non-durable goods were positive 0.2. Services, let's see here. Oh, hold on a sec. I read that wrong. I'm slightly off on the line there. Stand by. Okay, here we go. Goods was negative 0.1. Durable goods, uh, those are going to be like your washing machines and appliances, came in at 0.2. Non-durables, that's just your generic crap you buy at Target. That's your 0.3 to the negative side. That's great. That's disinflation right here. Then you've got, that's like the go-karts. You know, my daily driver, my go-karts. You know, you could check them out at uh, metkevin.com slash cart. Uh, anyway, you go to metkevin.com slash cart. That sucker's price has been coming down it's been great that thing used to be like 2400 bucks i think it's like like a 25 percent less now it's wild some deflation anyway uh pce excluding uh, food and energy 
There's the point three we already read off. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit more detailed into the segments, though. Can we get some more detail? Yeah, here. We're going to have some more detailed segments here. And seasonally adjusted rates. Okay, good. So what do we have? Personal current transfers. These are for Medicare, Social Security. This is all income. Just not going to want to give us a more detailed breakdown on the actual spending here. That's all right. Uh, okay, fine. So uh, anyway, there's our PC report. It's good, and it's actually fantastic. This this should help contribute to uh, a positive day for markets today. So far, markets are holding on to some of those gains that we just saw on the SPY and the QQQ. Take a listen to what some of the suits have to say. Uh, looks like uh, weaker spending and core inflation take yields a little lower are some of the arguments here from the suits. Personal income and spending accounts for May show a bit less consumption than expected, particularly since the April revisions are now included. Uh, excuse me. Income was largely in line with forecasts. On the inflation side, the surprise is that core PCE came in a tick lower than expected at 4.6 year over year. Yeah, that's always the uh, one that people are concerned about. Somewhat weaker spending and core inflation is obviously a little dovish on the margin, though not by any kind of magnitude that's going to change the Fed's view. Uh, still, a little reversal of the morning's rise in yields makes sense, even if the equity reaction looks a little exaggerated in comparison. Well, yeah, I mean, the stock market activity on, on this is, is just remarkable. Uh, because I thought this was relatively a long expectations, but you're still getting that green coming in, which really just implies people are still very nervous about inflation. But this is what's blowing my mind, is this explosion here in the 10-year. So what just happened? Let's zoom in on this. Because this was, we were at 384. Oh, it exploded yesterday. Look at that. Yesterday we were sitting at, it's when the GDP numbers came out. So as soon as the GDP print came out, yeah, yeah, this is right with GDP print. Wow. So with the GDP print, you actually shot the tenure up about 10 bips. That's incredible. All right. So uh, how do these numbers get collected? They use it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, PCE, that's a good question. Let me see if they break down. Because the consumer survey, they just straight up call people. Personal consumption expenditures. They should give us methods for that if we just look on the uh, website here. Additional info. <coughs> All right, let's see here. Definitions, statistical conventions, uh, calculated. Oh. That should be relatively simple to find out. Oh, here we go. No, that's not it either. Oh, I will find out. It's the Bureau of Economic Analysis that does the PCE. And uh, CPI is done by the BLS. So that is in an interesting question. We'll find out. Oh, here we go. Methods of U.S. National Income Practical Documentation. Okay. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of that. Uh, so in the meantime, we I want to see how Nike's performing after this PCE report. Still down, but only down about 2.6%. The, uh, the cool thing about uh, uh, Nike is that they, they really smashed it out of the park with, uh, with their earnings this quarter. 
They just gave a, a little bit of a weaker forecast than folks were hoping for. But frankly, for the stock to be down like, what, <coughs> 2%? Big deal. I mean, if, if, if my stocks were down only 2% after earnings, they'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> That's fine. Get rid of that stupid earnings catalyst. Uh, earnings are always exhausting, in my opinion. It's just like, you know what we should have? We should just have ongoing earnings. And then there's no surprise. Every single day, you just get uh, uh, you just get updated sales data. It's all live, and then you never have an earnings report again. Every single day, you could just go in there and get some new new data. At your favorite companies. That that one day, maybe AI will help us make that happen, or not. Uh, who knows? All right. So let's let's see here. Let's see if we could cheat a little bit regarding that PCE. Uh -huh. We're going to ask GPT. How is PCE data collected? Primarily collected by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Yeah, we, we already knew that. Uh, BEA, Bureau of Economic Analysis, collects from a variety of services, uh, uh, sources, uh, including, oh, they so they just put everything together. How, how interesting. Uh, so they're not making fun. Wait, hold on a second here. Data on goods and services. Uh, durable goods, non-durable goods and services. The data include not only direct purchases by consumers, but other things like healthcare expenditures paid on half. Fine. But where are the data sources? Data from, it, it sounds to me like they're taking a lot of the data from the Census Bureau, the BLS, which is who does CPI, and other private and governmental surveys. So they kind of hodgepodge it all together. They're not actually getting on the phone, which is very interesting because that means your PCE is almost like a, like an average of all of the reports almost, is, is roughly more what it sounds like than actually picking up the phone and calling consumers directly. Huh. Interesting. So the... Uh, as far as JPAL, yeah, this is this is fantastic because remember what JPAL's goal is, for for JPAL to get himself a spot next to uh, Mount, you know, on Mount Rushmore or whatever. You you gotta end up sticking a soft landing here where you don't end up having mass unemployment, and the level of the un inverted yield curve would would imply that we would get some kind of large unemployment surge, but hopefully not, uh, because that just creates a lot of pain. But uh, these reports have been great so far. Let's listen to CNBC for a moment. Steady with the two-year note. That's when we're watching 4.86. We retreated just a touch. Uh, the 10-year yeah. at 3.833%. A mixed picture for the trio of companies that made their public market debuts yesterday. Thrift store operator Savers Value Village gaining 27%, giving it the fifth best year-to-date performance among 2023 IPO companies valued by the market at more than $500 million. Nat Gas Compression Company Kodiak Gas Services and specialty insurance and reinsurance provider Fidelis Insurance didn't fare as well. Still, this week has now seen four higher-profile IPOs in what can only be described as a fairly quiet year. Space tourism company Virgin Galactic completed its first commercial space flight yesterday. It carried three paying passengers, uh, all members of the Italian Air Force. The company has previously said it could fly its second mission as soon as August. Virgin has a backlog of about 800 passengers. Uh, pricing per seat started at $200,000 over a decade ago and now has reached uh, $450,000. 
wonder if you can sell your seat. Wow, that's a lot of inflation. 200 something. Yeah, that's a good investment. That's a good trade. Yeah. <laughs> Chinese fast fashion retailer Shein is denying a report that it has confidentially filed for a U.S. IPO. Reuters had reported that the listing could happen before the end of the year. A spokesperson told CNBC Shein denies the rumors. The company has come under fire from the House committee over accusations that it exploits trade loopholes to bring goods into the U.S. without paying duties or subjecting shipments to human rights reviews. Hollywood is on edge. Industry watchers will pay close attention to the box office this weekend. Uh, along with another potential labor issue. Julia Borston joins us now with more. Hey, Julia. Good morning to you, Joe. Well, the familiar star, uh, Harrison Ford, is back as Indiana Jones, returning to the big screen with Disney's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Another Indiana Jones. All right, let's pull off that. So a five-year break-even right now is still sitting at uh, 2.17. The stability of the break-even, it does make me very curious uh, and I think it's why J-Pow's getting a little bit more nervous with, uh, with, with his t luxury of time. Uh, see, as, as much as inflation expectations are anchored, we want inflation expectations to continue to fall. Otherwise, there's this danger that J-Pow has to do more quicker. Uh, and not seeing that five-year break even come down is going to be something that I'm sure he's paying attention to. Let's zoom into it right now. So here it is. This is the five-year, over a five-year period. And what I'm looking at is we have not had this kind of stability at all in 2022 or 2023 before. Look at that. I mean, this is a, this is a very, very tight range for where the five-year break-even's been playing around in. Somewhere between 2.1 and uh, 2.2. We really want that to get down to about 1.6. And that's about where we have to fall to probably to get rate cuts. Uh, and it can move rapidly. But notice how over the last two years here, or a year and a half, you, well, yeah, you could say two years. The last time we had this stability was really over here in 2021 mid 21 but otherwise <coughs> it's either been up or down <sighs> wild all right let's keep listening in here what are we gonna see so oppenheimer i hear is only for certain uh people with calm demeanors i think uh what have you heard julia I mean, I'm very curious to see all of those movies. I, for one, will be seeing the Indiana Jones film with my kids this weekend. And I think that's really the question. Do these familiar characters, you know, these longstanding franchises, do they bring in um, a, a diverse audience, not just kids, not just adults? And I think Mission Impossible oh, also about, has that potential. Still talking about Indiana Jones over here. Okay. All right. So, all right. That's the five-year break-even. Uh, the What about the Fed term rate? What do we got today? So, oh, maybe we ought to look at some short interest as well. Let's see if I have that handy. But uh, Fed term rate right now, sitting at, let's see here, Fed term. Sort of a way of uh, finding out what the market expects for the peak terminal rate for the Fed. Uh, last time we looked at this, we were about 5.29. Oh, wow, it's ticked up quite a bit. It's actually at 5.37. We had a little uptick, 5.37, that, that's 
starting to fully price in your next hike because your 5.25 to 5.5 mid-range would be uh, 5.375. If 5.375 is your peak, or or sort of your where you would be <coughs> with uh, with one more hike, you're sitting at 5.37 now. You've basically fully priced in another rate hike, which is actually fantastic. Think about that. If everybody's worried about whether or not the Fed's going to pause or or rehike again. The market's already priced in another hike, and the market's been doing fine. So fantastic. This is great news. So let's see here. Weaker spending. Uh, okay, we talked about that. Yields a little bit of dipping. All right, that's fine. All right, good. So PCE solid. Stable five-year break-evens, though we'd like to see them fall. Spending stagnates. Inflation cools. Nobody likes the word stagnate, but uh, at least personal incomes are up. All right. What else is news today? Well, what is this? This there's a particular piece here in Bloomberg talking about uh, AI bubble and Fed hike fears have investors fleeting growth stocks. Really, they seem to be doing pretty well. An AI frenzy has the stock market captivated. Uh. Okay, but I don't see anyone fleeing growth stocks. Uh, investors have yanked, I guess in flows, investors have yanked nearly $44 million, uh, billion from the U.S. stock market via mutual funds and ETFs that track growth shares since the start of the year. Hmm. And the second quarter alone, preliminary net data shows an outflow of $20 billion. See, that's so fascinating to me, this, this idea that Oh, the rally can't last, so let's let's sell, sell, sell. Now, so to some degree, you are going to get a sell down for the end of the quarter. So you get end of the quarter rebalancing. It is the first half of the year. So uh, weird to say that today it's hey, it's Max's birthday, and the first half, and it marks the end of the first half of the year. It's pretty remarkable. All right. What do you mean, how is the market pricing in rate hikes without going down? Oh, oh, you mean why is the stock market not going down? Well, I think it's what we talked about yesterday to some extent. This delta change of, of uh, the last year was 500 basis points of hikes. Now we're talking about maybe 10% that, you know, maybe another 50 basis points or 25. Who cares? So I think the market's sort of starting to ignore these these rate hikes uh, to where, you know, another 25 years there just doesn't make a difference. Uh, and people don't want to be mispositioned because they're slowly being convinced that inflation is not here to stay. Yeah, the tighter export controls on chips, the revisions of loopholes that are rumored to come out from the Biden admin, yeah, somehow NVIDIA indicates that that isn't expected to hit their EPS. I doubt that. I think there will be an EPS hit, but it would be offset maybe by other revenues. So, uh, but it is. It was very confident of them to say, you know, no, no hit expected. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it ordinarily should. But I don't, I don't think it's any kind of large catalyst. All right, what are we oh, talking about? Nike now. Okay, let's listen to them here. It's macro headwinds, changing consumer behavior, and of course retail trends as well. And we'll end on Apple. 
up about a percent or so, about a million shares of volume now. The iPhone maker and services giant and Dow component as well is trading north of $3 trillion in the pre-market. $190.74, that's the price to watch given the most recently disclosed shares. A close at that valuation would be a first for Apple. Today, analysts at City have also initiated coverage with a buy rating and a street-high $240 price target. They cited things like an underappreciation of gross margin expansion, market share gains in India and China, and the continued shift towards those higher margin services. Apple shares, remember, Melissa, have pretty much been on a straight line so far this year. So a lot of questions about whether or not that momentum has yeah. a valuation that is now justified. Melissa, also Apple's just great. Uh, I love Apple. Uh, okay, so one one thing about that PCE, it was actually the smallest advance since July of 2022. Well, that's incredible. That's great. All right, let's keep listening in here. But what does a, a stock like Apple tell us about the market, that the, it can hit a record high here, it's going higher and higher, it's trading at a, a steep premium to the S&P 500 overall, and yet we're entering a period where we're expecting at least two more interest rate hikes? We still haven't seen the full extent, perhaps, of, of bank credit issues here. There are a lot of question marks when it comes to the economy still. What does this tell us about the market? Yeah, I think um, your point about the, the, the broad market is up healthy this year. But if you look under the covers, you really have the winners and losers. Like the, the regional bank index, for in, instance, I think is down close to 30% on the year. So certainly winners and losers this year. Um, in terms of the Fed and, and their likely action, um, Powell reiterated the other day that they the median estimate is for two more hikes. Um, I think the way to think about that is most of the hikes are likely in, but our stronger conviction is that we will stay in restrictive territory for quite a while. And we've started to see, we've seen most of those eases early next year taken out of the pricing, but we really don't see any eases for the, the coming part of the year. Um, and then in addition to that, I, I, I don't know if it's one or two or three more hikes, but we're already in restrictive territory. And that's going to take a while to play out in terms of softening the economy, which is is probably still too strong to uh, to meet the Fed's inflation targets. Your underweight equities, Mimi, how long have you been underweight? Because we've seen Ooh, such a performance. They've all been underweight. I want to hear this explanation. To date, Nasdaq up 30 percent. Did you miss that run? Yes. No. So, well, we put some hedges on a couple months ago, and we think that's the prudent thing to do because of the tighter credit standards coming forward. It's going to take some time to play out. But, um, but you know, equities are up very strong this year. But um, we, we do think that there's a worse picture uh, in, in the future. So you're hedging via options? I mean, options that's are super cheap right now. <laughs> That's right. We, we, have, we put some options hedges on to protect the gains that we have seen. Okay. What areas are you um, enthusiastic about going to the second half? Yeah. So on the fixed income side, we really like front end tips. They're priced for perfection. Uh, one and two year break evens around 180 and 2.1%. We don't think that inflation will come down that fast. We also like emerging market bonds. We think yields are are, um, you know, it's healthy to earn those yields. We're, we're mostly neutral in fixed income. And then on the equity side, as you pointed out, we, we have shifted to underweight. And then we also continue to like real assets, um, in particular uranium, where we think that will benefit from the energy diversification theme. All right, Mimi, great to have you. Thank you. You know, I find it so interesting, these uh, 
money managers. Oh no, 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 we're, we, you know, we didn't miss it. We were just hedging. <clears throat> what are you talking about? If you were underweight, you were underweight. You're not underweight because you were hedging. You're underweight because you're underweight. <laughs> you know, like you could be overweight and hedge, but if you're underweight, you're underweight. Uh, but then again, most fund managers have just been convinced that we're definitely going into some kind of uh, intense, scary recession. So, all right, we'll see. Let's keep listening here, and uh, I want to get into I want to get into some of these uh, research pieces as well in just a moment. Yep. Good weekend. Make sure you join us uh, next oh, week. Wow. Squawk on the street. It's up right now. All right. Let's hear the opening of this 6 p.m. crew, or 6 a.m. crew, rather. P.m. Jeez. I'll get it. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Sarah Eisen at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. We are wrapping up the month, quarter, and first half with a strong batch of news. Headline PCEs in line, lowest annual rate in two years. Futures strong as yields are down. Apple, Nike, banks, semis, and travel today on what could be a messy holiday weekend. Our roadmap begins, though, with stocks at the end of the month, quarter and half. The Nasdaq eyeing its best first half since 83. And Apple is looking to hit $3 trillion at the open. Plus, of course, uh, deal scrutiny. The FTC and Microsoft now awaiting a judge's decision, which could help decide the fate of one of technology's largest ever acquisitions. And Nike shares are falling ahead of the open, delivering what some say is a gloomy forecast as U.S. consumers cut back, overshadowing a strong recovery in China. We'll discuss it. Let's begin, though, with the markets. So, so far this year, all three major indices are in the green, led by the NAS, up almost 30%, as we said. Uh, best first half since 80. The NAS. <laughs> 15%, which would be the first half, best first half since uh, 2018. Uh, confounding a lot of people who were eyeing more uh, nefarious scenarios, say, at the beginning of the year. It jives with the biggest surprise of the year, not just that the stock market is up, but that the economy has remained so resilient and so much better than everyone thought, and that inflation well. remained a little bit stickier. Now, having said that, today's news, what we got, the PCE, that's the, that's the Fed's preferred gauge, comes in better. Better if you're Jay Powell, better if you're Treasury Secretary Yellen, better if you're an investor who's hoping for the end of, of rate hikes. The, the main number, 3.8%, matches expectations. That's on the headline, but it's the lowest level we've seen in two years. So that's good news, better than the 4.3% prior, if you look year over year. The core, and if there's one thing I learned from all the central bankers this, this week, we only should be looking at the core because they are very focused on the core. Okay. It's stripping out more volatile food and energy and that sort of thing. And it shows you why they're concerned about it because it's higher than the headline, 4.6%. Now, it's a little bit moderated from 4.7%, so that's good, but it is still stubbornly high and higher than their forecast. And then there's the super core, which we always look at. I, you know, I just, at it. Uh, that is services, inflation, ex-housing, and it did fall to the lowest level since July 2023. Good news, uh, about a quarter of a percent. July 2022, Sarah, 2022. July 2023 has not happened yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so uh, look, one of the things that drives me nuts is this idea that inflation is somehow stubborn, like, we, we, we know it went up a lot. Of course, it's not going to evaporate right away, uh, but um, it takes, l l let it roll off. But it seems like every single time we get an inflation report, people, you know, go on TV and they argue at the screen about how, 
Well, it's higher than 2%, so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just gonna have to keep being underweight stocks. Imagine, this is what I really want you to ask yourself. Imagine what happens when inflation actually is 2% and all these people have a ton of cash on the sides and are on the side and are underweight equities. Remember what we, look, two weeks ago, we did the Bank of America fund manager survey. Everyone's underweight equities. Average fund manager is underweight equities, 32%. Sentiment recently shifted to positive and overweight for growth, but that doesn't mean positioning is. In fact, Morgan Stanley yesterday told us what? That most people, when they get new money, they take most of that money and they put it into cash and money market funds and bonds, not stocks. So you're still nowhere close to the euphoria of Tina that we saw in late 2021. That's remarkable to me because it's actually very positive because it means even if you have negative catalysts coming up, the more time goes by, the more people are going to flow into equities. The more people flow into equities, the more negative catalysts that come up will actually get balanced out by, again, people wanting to reposition to equities. So I kind of think about it like this, and then I want to talk about a bear piece. T.S. Lombard's got, you know, another good piece out, so we'll take a peek at that. But look at this. This is just sort of my thesis. If I draw a line, okay, simple line, and this is time, it's just a simple timeline. My thinking is that every negative catalyst that you get that drives stocks down, and let's say this right here over here, everything that drops stocks down as time goes on is going to lead people to want to increase their equity allocation. So let's say that as time goes on, people's equity allocations are going to do this. That is, you're going to go from underweight stocks to actually normal weight stocks. And then usually what happens in the cycles is eventually you're going to go overweight stocks because everybody's chasing the FOMO and that's when you get the euphoria and stuff. We are really far away from all that euphoria, at least at this point. But my thesis is that over time, as we get little negative or bad reports, those get eaten up by people who need to position in. And that actually puts a floor under stocks at multiple levels where you just kind of continue bouncing up. And this is what created my Nike swoosh thesis, where if you were to zoom out a lot, this is really just the, the, the start where, you know, 2022 ends up looking like the down and then you have the big long up uh, over the next decade for, for stocks. My thesis could be wrong, knock on wood that I'm not, but that's what I believe. Point is though, with all these people and hedge fund managers and, and institutions hedging every single report and still under allocating to stocks and looking for their invitation to buy stocks, what you're actually doing is you're saying the more time goes on, the more the excuse that inflation is still over 2% goes away, right? Eventually we're going to be at 2%. That excuse will go away. And therefore the more time goes on, the more people will flip over. which is good. That's basically a tailwind support for your investments. In other words, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going to say something crazy because I love crazy. Isn't that like a Frozen song? 
All my life has been... Okay, I'm not... I can't sing. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> what uh, What is interesting about this is, in my opinion, okay, this is the crazy part. Everybody else is hedging for me. I don't have to hedge. Think about how insane that sounds, what I'm saying. I'm basically saying it's okay to buy stocks and not hedge because everybody else is hedging for me. Because what happens? As soon as a bad report comes in, they buy. So they do the hedging for me. I don't even need to hedge because my hedges won't, can't pay out because they're just gonna go buy. It's insane. So the best thing, to, in my opinion, is, is buy stocks. You know, obviously that's not personal financial advice for you. Dear regulators, I don't have any financial advice clients, okay? I may be a financial advisor, but this is all not personal, broad information for the public. Anyway, so I, I think this is so fascinating. Uh, now, we're going to go to this bear piece from T.S. Lombard. But, and again, I know to some extent it sounds loony, but think about it. It makes sense. If you buy stocks, any bad news gets eaten up by the other people because they're under allocated. That's basically them hedging for you. That's insane. So like, I don't have to pay any premium. I I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to sell calls because it limits my upside. I don't want to buy put protection because it's expensive. It's going to lower my returns. Everybody else can hedge for me. Maybe sell puts, but why sell puts if you could just hold the underlying? Because you know, you sell puts. There's going to be a limit also. Yeah, I know people are like, oh, but you could you could get all the the premium as soon as you get close to expiration and you could roll it and all. I understand all that. It's all trading. It's fantastic. I understand you can make a lot of money selling puts and that, but but you also limit your return to some extent. You know, I know some people have been really interested in this. And then let's get into this bear piece. Uh, these these uh, uh, income strategies for for like Tesla, for example, where they'll buy an ETF that sells calls, and I'm like, why? Why would you sell calls against a stock that that has you know bounced off bottom and is just really getting started off that bottom? At least in my thesis, really, for you to buy this, you have to believe that Tesla, for example, has capped out, and you know people are so excited about these income strategies, and they work if the market's starting to trend toward the top for that particular stock. But I mean, look, if, if you look on screen here, here's an example of a, a yield ETF year to date up 25.8% minus the fees they charge for that, whereas Tesla's up 138%. It's like, why would you be selling calls? This shows you that selling calls was stupid. Now, I understand hindsight is 2020, but quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't know why you would sell calls when Tesla's $110 or whatever it was at the beginning of the year. All right, with that said, let's look at the bears. So what does T.S. Lombard have to say? The Fed's 2020 Jackson Hole Rendezvous. I always think it's so weird. Who spelled rendezvous? Rendezvous. Ron, whatever. Well, it was the French. Anyway. Was heralded as a watershed moment for modern monetary policy. In an unusually blunt speech, Jerome Powell took the opportunity to issue a stark warning about the pain facing households and businesses as authorities had ramped up their efforts to get inflation under control. By then, of course, global markets had already experienced a fair amount of anguish. Bond and equity values were down significantly, suffering their worst combined return in more than a century. Bonds down, stocks down. It was the everything crash. 
With central banks and other jurisdictions adopting similarly tough messaging and even forecasting a recession, it seemed something had changed in relationship between in the relationship between financial markets and monetary guardians. Twelve months on, however, it hasn't worked out the way everyone has expected. Yep, the bears are sucking and licking their wounds. Not saying there won't be volatility, just saying it's probably not a good idea to be super bearish. But anyway. Not only have U.S. equities recovered their losses, but other markets, especially in Europe, have risen since their central banks ratcheted up policy aggression. And this has inevitably sparked a debate about whether monetary policy is tight enough or whether more pain will be necessary. Oh, give it to me, bears. Give it to me. Talk, talk dirty to me, bears. All right, here we go. Year over year, inflation is still running higher than nominal policy rates. Uh, is it though? Is it? Hold on a sec. Because nominal rates are 5%. CPI, uh, last CPI year over year read came in at, came in at 4%. Oh, core though. Core came in at 5.3, which is a little higher. Okay, fine. Okay. Plenty of pundits who believe monetary policy is not as tight as it seems. Yet it is important to remember that it is expected inflation that matters, uh, not the level of inflation that has prevailed over the previous 12 months. Okay, you're actually talking reasonable things here. This is correct. Remember that when uh, uh, Jerome Powell tells us what rates are going to be, he gives us a formula that includes expected inflation. You should honestly write this down. It's just worth reiterating really quickly. But the FOMC rate, so the Fed rate, okay? What is the Fed rate? The Fed rate is very simply a restrictive level, so I'll call it RL, and we're going to call that 2%, plus inflation expectations three-ish years out, we'll call that 3%. Oh my gosh, when you add that together, it's where the Fed is, right? So if inflation is a little hotter and your inflation expectations actually go from three to 3.25. Oh, wow. Fed rate needs to be five and a quarter percent. Now, if those inflation expectations fall, Fed cuts. All right. Okay, so base effects, i.e. what's happening in prices last year should have no bearing on financial decisions that are made today. Right, we wanna look at inflation expectations, that's fine. Given the medium term inflation expectations and the fact that they've been stable during this policy tightening, uh, it is not true that higher inflation has offset central banks' action. Forward-looking real rates are positive across the curve. Positive real rates are just a way of measuring, like, has have central banks tightened enough? Okay, great. Look, I assumed this was going to be bearish, but so far this doesn't seem very bearish. This seems to be providing an explanation of, of what the Fed's up to. Anyway, usually I see T.S. Lombard and I'm like, bear. <laughs> they walk by, you, you see him walk by a Costco and you're like, oh, bear. Anyway, um, they're a company, Kevin. They don't walk around in Costco. Anyway, uh, central banks believe, <laughs> I like Costco, okay, uh, that it is not enough uh, to take account of differences in inflation over time. They must be given a real, whatever, magic equilibrium level, blah, 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 but there is no magic or not level. Nobody knows what that is, whatever. All right, quantities versus prices. While mainstream economics focuses on interest rates, there are some who prefer to look at quantity-based measures of policy 
particularly trends in money supply. Credit provision is particularly important uh, because credit is the counterpart of money supply. Yeah, right now, of course, the flow of money has turned decidedly negative. Yeah, well, this is also, of course, the money supply is shrinking, but when we look at these year-over-year -year numbers, when people are like, oh my gosh, we haven't seen uh, this money supply go negative this deeply in so long, uh, you know, since, what, 100 years or whatever, we gotta remember, we're, we're comparing to some massive money printing. Anywho, because of recent turmoil in the banking system, we're also seeing further tightening in lending standards. Right, now one thing that's worth noting about the Fed is that they've made it very clear that lending standards were expected to kind of like do something like this, where they're tightening, banking crisis, oh, and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, lending standards up. But the reality is, at least according to Mr. Bullard over at the Fed, lending standards have kind of just done that after the banking crisis, and including before. So in other words, no inflection. Kind of interesting. All right. So monetary tightening not only makes new borrowing more expensive, sure, but we, we know some of that. Squeezes debt service coverage ratios. Debt servicing ratios are a little high. Squeezing households. Debt servicing costs per, as a percentage of income. Here's the US. End of 2023, sitting right around 8%. That's fine. All right, this TS Lombard piece wasn't actually a bear piece. Uh, then, in that case, let's jump on over to another report I wanted to look at which has to do with looking at the transportation market to see what we should expect for the economy, which I think is appropriate because now we're looking at some information about the Fed and how tightening is affecting expectations, as well as how is the actual real economy doing? Well, let's take a peek. Freight volume declined and continued to abate in Q2. This, by the way, is a piece from Goldman Sachs. Ocean freight in particular has improved to negative 1% year over year. I love how they say improved to only down 1% <laughs> for ocean freight. As we noted earlier this year, this was driven by a lower drag from destocking and easier comps. So in other words, we're, f we're finally selling through that inventory, still rebuying stuff now, while absolute volume levels remain weak. This is also, this is for, for shipping. You're in a shipping recession. Anyway. This is also evident in the unseasonable weakness in container shipping rates, which have fallen to 2019 levels. Remember when shipping containers were like $30,000, $20,000 was insane. You know, now you're back to like 1500 bucks. It's wild how much rapid disinflation you got uh, and almost outright deflation in shipping. We don't see signs of a restocking cycle starting that would be potentially inflationary, a potentially inflationary impulse, but that's also a negative for your manufacturers, uh, potentially also commodities, if you're not seeing this restocking cycle start. General inventory levels have merely been reduced from high levels, but don't look particularly low, and new export orders remain weak. Okay. Freight rates, meanwhile, continue to slide. <clears throat> Strong summer demand for travel still expected. Lufthansa ramping. Who was it? I, I, sent a, I sent a text the other day. Oh, I sent it to my pilot. I'm like, yo, this is incredible. Uh, I, uh, it was, um, there was a particular company that was starting to, uh, they bought like a ton of airliners, uh, or a t not a ton of airliners, a ton of planes. And, uh, and the title of the Wall Street Journal article, which was on the front page, was Demand for Airliners Soars. We can, I guess maybe it is airliners. Demand for airliner source. We cannot make planes fast enough. And they were quoting the CEO of Airbus. 
<coughs> and then using an example of how this one plane company, I think it was Ryanair actually, was just buying a ton of new planes. All these airlines are like, we need more planes. Uh, was it Air India? I don't know. Anyway, anyway uh, the environment for airlines remains supportive with fares increasing double digits year over year. And you would think this would be inflationary, right? Yeah, it's because it is. <coughs> I wonder what our last CPI said for airfares, though. Let me see. Where they oh, this would be a good moment for me to remind you about that expiring coupon code tonight. Email us at staff at meetkevin.com if you want to bundle up. But uh, that is tonight, and prices will be going up. Big price increase, just one phase. There was a period of time where we were talking about maybe breaking it into four phases. I just want to get the lectures done. I, I don't want to drag it out uh, over four phases. So we're going to be releasing those lectures. I wish I wasn't as coffee as I am. Speaking of coffee. All right, here we go. This was the last. There it is. See, this is weird. Year over year, they're talking about airfares doubling. But now if you look at the month over month for the last three months of airfares, Look at what you've gotten month over month. It's certainly very volatile, but right here, airline fares, we're gonna take that number all over, and then what we're going to do is we're going to look at just the right three numbers right here. So month over month, you had a 4% bump, then a negative two six, then a negative three. Interesting, very, very interesting. All right, so let's go back to this global situation piece. I sometimes like looking at these global situation pieces. They, they really give you a, a sense of what's going on globally. Anyway. <coughs> All right. And airlines, our top pick remains Ryanair. That CEO is badass, by the way. Uh, okay, let's look at some of the charts that we got here. Trade volume declines are abating. Wow, that's actually interesting because this, this trade issue, this decline that we've been watching has been a big reason the bears have been freaking out. They're like, all the leading indicators are going to say we're going to recession. Just look at PMIs, which is a purchasing manager's index, a survey of, of people who are like, we need more stuff at, at companies like wholesale or manufacturing. It's recovering again. It's incredible. Global financial conditions index uh, versus current activity. That one's not as fun. Let's look at some of these other here. Global air freight declining at a slight rate. That's for orders. Fine. U.S. inventory uh, versus sales ratio, uh, and then they've overlaid uh, some uh, some pricing here. But let's look at the light blue line here. Light blue is going to be your U.S. inventory to sales ratio, which is right here. The light blue on the right. Still plenty of inventory then. Okay, sitting at around a 1.4 level of 1.4 times inventory to sales. So no like massive need to quickly restock. If that number fell below, uh, you know, kind of like what it did over here, uh, this inversion, uh, the way they're showing this chart is so confusing. Here's your year over year growth. Here's your on the right side inventory to sales ratio. Anyway. Uh, oh, of course, during the pandemic, everybody is sales plummeted. So the inventory to sales ratio would skyrocket. That's why, okay, this is accurate. Yeah, 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 yeah. So these numbers go up. The numbers on the right go up because if all of a sudden sales plummet, well, then it makes it look like you have a ton more inventory, right? Uh, the problem was your you had this inventory shortage over here. That was your inventory shortage. 
where the inventory to, to sales ratio is only like 1.35. Uh, and, and now we're at a pretty stable level over here at, at 1.5. Somewhat basically saying we're not in a place where we need to rush to refill inventory everywhere, which is good, Not no inflationary pressure on that sense, but still plenty enough to sell. Air cargo down 20% year over year. You know, we did a FedEx analysis in the course member live and uh, boy, yeah, I mean, just across the board, the, the pain that you're seeing in year over year comparisons for packages, whoo. UK e-commerce down, uh, who cares? All right, large forward volume declines, fine. Air cargo load factors declining. Container volume down 1% year over year and up 3% versus May 2019. So it's probably a return to trend then, eh? Change year over year. I can't really draw a trend line on the change year over year though. Fine. Import volume still down double digits year over year. We just want that American stuff. U.S. inventory is not particularly low level, right? We talked about that. Absolute inventory levels have been falling, but it's when you consider it compared to sales. They're not because sales are also normalizing. So that's okay. All right. So, well, I mean, nothing in here. Here are the bottlenecks. U.S. inland bottlenecks largely long. This was actually a big deal. Remember when we talked about the supply chain crises we were really worried about uh, the shipping, the ports. But then what happened was people next became worried about warehouse space and trucks and having enough chassis to put the containers on top. Uh, that's mostly evaporated here. More financial pressure needed to instill capacity discipline. Yeah, well, in, in other words, a really nominal red flags over here. Uh, and in terms of pricing, a lot of this very, very positive to indicate that pricing is falling, which is very good for for uh, freight. We don't want to see high freight costs because it ends up being an inflationary impetus to every part of the process. So fascinating. I mean, in my opinion, I, I again, I'm looking for red flags every day. Uh, you know, even the bears are finding different things to talk about right now because it's just, there's just not much to talk about as a bear. So anywho, a little bit of insight. I got to jump on over to the Course Member live stream. Appreciate y'all being here. Uh, join me every single day in the Course Member Lives. We go right into fundamental analysis uh, almost every single day, right into income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statements, notes, management discussion, uh, earnings calls. And if you don't want to do all that yourself, you pay once and you literally get lifetime access. Think about what lifetime access means. Six years ago, I came out with some of the first courses and I'm still adding value to those. So somebody who bought my courses six years ago has gotten course member live streams almost every single day the market is open and new lectures. It's like, why not? What do you have to lose? So check it out. Link down below. If you have any questions, email us at staff at meetkevin.com or to bundle up. Otherwise, there are some bundles listed at meetkevin. We'll see you all soon. All right, I got to post the link to the course member live now, and I'm going to do that in about 30 seconds. See you there.